Lord God, that's why we've come to this place. We've come here to worship you in, in the way that we have learned over the years. As a large group of people, we, we come and we lift our voices together, expressing our thanks to you and our praise to you through the songs that our worship leaders lead us in. And thank you that this morning those have been powerful songs. You also give us the opportunity to worship you in our recognition of our total dependence upon you for everything. And as we share in our offerings, financially we're acknowledging that you're the God who provides everything we need. And you call us to live responsibly with it including sharing from what you've given to us to help those in need. So thank you for that worship that we've had. God, in our worship, you also give us several times, like right now, for us to have a personal, private conversation with God. And right where you're standing, this is your moment to do that. For you to thank God for who he is and who he has made you to be, Thank Him for His love for you, His work in your life. This is your moment to give over and place in the hands of God whatever it is that might be concerning you or troubling you today. God, you also give us time in our worship to open up your word and we invite you by the power of your Holy Spirit to do a miracle, to speak personally into every one of our lives because you're the only one who knows what each of us needs to hear from you because you're the only one who knows what's coming for each of us. So, thank you for worship today. And we're ready now to listen to what you want to say to us. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, praise his holy name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. And I invite you to be seated, my dear friends. Thank you, Pastor Mark and our worship leaders for leading us into God's throne room in such a special way. And I want to release our children, the little ones up through grade four, please. We praise God for them and for you adults who love and teach our children. I hope that you are, in fact, praying for the journey that as a nation we're on in these now a little more than 30 days before the election. If you need help in the 40-day prayer journey, there are more of these out at the Welcome Center, as you know, praying state by state for our nation in preparing for this very important upcoming election. We're going to have two concerts of prayer where we can come together as a body and pray together as God's people. The first one is going to be next Saturday evening following our Saturday evening worship service at about 6.30 for about an hour. So if you'd like to be part, part of a joint corporate prayer experience on the road to our election, we would invite you to be here next Saturday evening. There's always, as you know, a benevolent offering when we have communion in your worship folder, and that's there for you to pray through God how would you want me to share resources that you've given me to help those in need? What does it look like when a group of people, any group of people, anywhere in the world, say, 
yes to God. A, a group of people who would like to honor God with their lives, their families, their businesses. A, a group of people who would like to learn how to follow Jesus Christ and they determine we're going to say yes to God with no restrictions. Well, I think we are becoming that kind of a group of people here at Calvary. There's a brand new seniors newsletter that's just been written and every story in here is about seniors like Milt and Shirley and others who have said yes to God and what God has done in their lives. Thank you to you and others like you who are saying yes to God. We're going to celebrate that this morning in these next moments. What it means to live the adventure that happens when a normal person like you and me says, yes, God, no restrictions. I think that's part of what Jesus had in mind when he said, I'm going to start a movement, a miracle. I'm calling it an ecclesia. We translate that word to be church. And I will build this movement myself, by my power, Jesus said, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Amen? About 30 years later or so, the Apostle Paul was writing a letter to a group of people like this who say yes to God, who he had never met. In your notes, I quoted a couple of verses from that letter that he wrote. We call it Colossians in our New Testament. And he wrote, do you see it there in your notes? All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood it. God's grace in all of its truth. That's true. That's what God's been doing here for 91 years and all around the world for centuries. It's the outgrowth of that remarkable statement that Jesus made, I will build my movement and nothing will be able to stop it. I've been reading again a, a little book that calls us to recognize that if we're going to be a part of this movement, then our mission is simply to draw and connect as many people as we possibly can everywhere in the world to Jesus Christ. Because when that happens, as you know, if you have met Jesus... Your life changes, right? You become a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. And if you, you grow that to a genuine, reproducing, passionate relationship with Jesus Christ, then everything changes about you, including your purpose in life. And so, listen to this. God would never choose for you safety at the cost of significance. God created you so that your life would count, not so you could simply count the days of your life. When you hear the call of God, when you follow his call, you must recognize that it's a life-changing call. When you understand what Jesus means when he invites you to follow him, you finally realize this is not a cattle call. God is not calling you to the same life that everyone else lives. He's not even calling you to the same path that every follower of Jesus Christ will travel. Your life is unique 
before God. Your path is yours and yours alone. Where God will choose to lead you and how God chooses to use your life cannot be predicted by how God has worked in other people. Did you get that? There are no two of us exactly the same in the world. And each of us is uniquely designed by God for a unique role, a unique fit in what he would like to accomplish in your lifetime, right? Do you believe that? I have found that most people don't believe that. Most people believe that God's making 300,000 new babies every day, so he's just this mass-producing God that's pumping out babies. And that we're all pretty similar, human beings. Whether we're born in Japan or Mexico or America, it really is just a a toss of the dice. Wherever you end up in your journey, whoever you happen to marry, it's just, you know, luck. Is that the way you understand life? It's not the way I understand life. And from the time that I can remember being a little boy, occasionally I would take a deep breath. And I'd remind myself no other living human being on the planet just experienced what I experienced. My body taking in air. My lungs distributing that air across my body. Now now you breathe it in and and I don't experience what you do. And, And as the Holy Spirit of God works in my life, it's unique and different from how he works in yours. Aren't you glad for that? But so many people just settle for whatever. Isn't that true? When it comes to what God would like to unleash in their life. That's why here at Calvary we've been saying our purpose for existence, the reason we're here is to draw and connect people to Jesus because they're life changes. There you discover who God's designed you to be and all the possibility of what that could mean. That in that growing, authentic, reproducing relationship with Jesus Christ, you become that person. And then in your notes, as you can see, over the last few weeks, I've been giving you some of the fundamental what's really important to us in order for that to happen. But we need to be a people who agree God's word is fundamental truth. And all truth is based on God's truth. Amen? That, that Jesus Christ it, it would love to lead you through life. And, and so following him and learning how to follow him becomes vital in, in your life. And then today, I'd like to introduce you to a new concept. If you'd open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. And while you're doing that, I'd like to read to you from an Old Testament passage. It's Isaiah 42. God spoke about 2,700 years ago to the prophet Isaiah at a time where the peoples of the world were profoundly confused and there was turmoil everywhere in the world and even God's people Israel had pretty well concluded God's given up on us. And when you come to chapter 40 and 41 and 42, God is saying, oh no, I haven't given up on you. You are my special people. And here's what he says. Listen, this is what God the Lord says. He who stretched out the heavens, created them by his own hand. He who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it. He who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on the earth. I 
I am he, and I am the Lord, and I have called you to myself in righteousness, and I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you, and I will make you to be a covenant of hope for the people, a light of truth for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. And I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place. But now new things I am declaring to you. Before they spring into being, I'm announcing them to you. God was saying through the prophet Isaiah to his people, I have a special purpose for you. It was the purpose that I had in my mind when I came up with this idea of descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob being a unique people. I would like all the peoples of the world to know who I am as they watch you. To understand what a relationship with me means as they watch you. Amazingly, Jesus quoted that when he came here. I am the fulfillment of that, he said in Luke chapter 4. And then when you come to Matthew, Matthew records this as his first major speech to hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of people. He says to them, you, do you see it there, Matthew 5, verse 13? You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. Now he was speaking to the descendants of those who had received that message from Isaiah. Jewish people, so they would understand, of course, we are the salt of the world. We're the light of, of, of the world. We were born into that. It's our, it's our privilege. It's our right by being Jews. And then when he said, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything. Those who were most thoughtful among them would have scratched their chins and said, yep, you're right. There have been many times in our history where we were supposed to be the salt of the earth, and we weren't. We turned our back on you, God. We became like everybody else, and we were, in fact, worthless, just like you say there. So I'd like to ask you, what do you suppose he was saying when he said to people, you are the salt of the earth? What is salt good for? Talk to me for a moment. What was he saying? What is salt's purpose? What's it good for? Preserve. Heal. Flavor. Good. Any more? It causes a thirst. It really does. When my wife Dawn and I lived in Haiti as missionaries, we lived not far from the ocean. It wasn't the pretty ocean that you think about when you think about Antigua or Aruba, those kind of places. It was a pretty crusty beach, but it was salt water. And we learned that, wow, salt water is very powerful. You have a, a cut that is infected or some other kind of an infection. Go into the ocean and let that salt water do its work. And it's amazing the cleansing work that salt water will do and the healing process begins. You have a sore throat <laughs> and you live in a place where you can't quickly buy throat lozenges. What do you do? You grab up a cup of that and you start gargling with salt water. It's amazing, right? You have a dog and, or some other pet and that, that animal has ticks or those kinds of 
leeches upon it. Take it into the salt water. And pretty soon those little varmints will come up off of that animal. It's true. You are to be salty people, Jesus was saying, in a world that desperately needs help. As I scatter you around the world, be that healing agent in a broken world. Bring hope that pushes back the desperation of infection, bitterness, brokenness. Be the one that helps... Release the hold, the clutches of those parasites on people, huh? But if the salt loses its saltiness, can you see where that's going? If you're out there in your workplace and you are one who claims a relationship with Jesus Christ and you know there's dishonesty going on in your workplace and you don't do anything about it, The salt is losing its saltiness. You know there's wrong. A co-worker is chasing after somebody else's wife and you don't do anything about it. The salt is losing its saltiness, huh? And what happens when salt loses its saltiness, according to Jesus? It's not worth anything except being thrown out and trampled by men. Hmm. Can you let the Spirit of God speak into your heart and mind right now about how salty are you, really, if you claim that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God lives in your life and God is inviting you to be salty in your world? You are the light of the world. Remember, Jesus later said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will no longer walk in darkness. But you will be the light. There's a reason we have the lighthouse up here today. It's a visual reminder that God has invited you to be a living lighthouse 24-7 wherever you live out life. Okay, talk to me again. What does that mean? Being light in a dark world. We know that light penetrates darkness, right? We know that light dispels darkness. So, so what does it look like practically? You, you and I are surrounded by deceitfulness, aren't we? Constantly, light speaks truth, right? Light lives honestly, right? Light follows up and makes good on promises made, right? So it's not hard for us. We're among the most educated people in the world. So it's not hard for us to understand and personally apply what should it look like for me to live salty in a decaying world and light in an increasingly dark world, right? And isn't it true that already all of us have a reputation? We've all lived long enough that we all have a reputation. So it shouldn't be hard for any of us to ask ourselves the question, what is my reputation among the people who know me? How salty or not am I? How consistent in being a light in a dark world am I or not. Ponder that a moment. Some years later, the Apostle Paul was writing to salty people around the world. And he writes to them in his first letter, First Peter, and it's there in your notes. Do you see it? You are a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're salty people because you have trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior. You've invited him to do that salty change work in you. So abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Do you see that I've put a question there in your notes? What issues become the war zone battleground for my soul? Are you honest enough with yourself to first ask the question, am I salty consistently? Or do I tend to just kind of filter into the crowd? Just become like everybody else? Am I light consistently? Or do I sometimes let the light go dim so I don't stand out? And what is it that wars against my soul? Do I know my personal vulnerabilities well? Do I have the courage when out on a business lunch and everybody else is ordering a second and third round of drinks to say, nope, thanks anyway. That's not good for me or my family. If you can name one positive thing that alcohol does, I'd like to hear it. Because I can give you about a thousand for the way the dark kingdom is using alcohol to destroy families and businesses and lives. And yet it amazes me the number of people who declare that they have a relationship with Jesus but don't have the ability to say no. And on and on and on. Come on, friends. Can you look at yourself honestly enough to see what is it that is waging war against my soul? Personalize it. Because the dark kingdom knows you better than you know yourself. The dark kingdom knows where you're vulnerable, knows where your parents and your grandparents were vulnerable, and will not give up trying to neuter your saltiness by drawing you into things that disqualify you from being any influence at all in your circle of influence. Do you agree with that? So, got your pencil? Here's four ways that I would invite you to jot down that you can be consistently salty. First, make sure that your relationship with Jesus Christ is genuine and authentic. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. You've trusted Him to be your Savior and you have invited Him to do His consistent great work in you. Second, spend good time in God's Word because it's living and inactive, it's active, and as it fills your mind and your heart, you will be able to speak His truth into your world. You ignore it, and you'll be hanging out there by yourself. <laughs> Third, celebrate the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and keep inviting the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do in you in empowering you to be salty light in your world consistently. Fourth, take a close look, as Peter says, to see what is it that's waging war against your soul. What are the tactics of the dark kingdom that find their way in there and you stumble consistently? Stand strong against that by the power of God. Amen? And you will be consistently salty light that we desperately need you to be in our world. Would you take a look at your worship folder for just a moment? You see the front of it there? You've been looking at that picture for the last several weeks. As I was looking at it this week, a thought came to me. <laughs> I love the picture, and you see in the upper left-hand corner there, there's four old people in the picture. In fact, those are four of our charter members. <laughs> so, so, so that's almost 100 years old. 
And I thought to myself, there is something missing in this picture. What's missing in the picture is the modern-day pictures of you, your faces. The people who have consistently said, yes, God, yes. Yes, do the work in my life that you would like to do and keep doing it consistently. Yes, God, use me in the way that you would like to use me out there in my world to be salt and light wherever it is. Yes. So you can't see very well the front of my worship folder, but I started drawing circles all around the picture as though I could put there the faces of many of you who I know have said yes. And then I started putting names in the circles. I'm already into my third tier of circles around the picture. And I put Shirley. Your picture is there, dear Shirley. Because I know you said yes to Jesus, and I just learned, reading that newsletter, that this was trip number 70, I think, or 69. 69. Come here, my dear sister. This was international trip number 69 for you. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Amen. And, And you've got number 70, 71, and 72 already planned. Is that right? And 73. And 73. Maybe. And oh, so what happened the last couple well, weeks? Well, Pastor Mark said he couldn't wait to hear, so this is hot off the griddle. Amen. <laughs> this last week, in four days' time, we saw 3,601 pe- people on a one-by-one basis. This was Honduras? Honduras. And this was the team that we sent out a week ago? Correct. Okay. 429 accepted Christ for the first time. Amen. Amen. Okay. <laughs> 100 recommitted their life. And we saw 1,065, I believe it was, that were already missionaries, but the majority of them wanted prayer so that they could strengthen their faith because they lived with, you know, such horrible situations in their life come up all the time that they say, we doubt, we doubt. Sometimes we doubt. Will you pray for us that we do not doubt? Amen. And trip number 73, which I mentioned, which, you know, it's not all worked out yet, but I think my real purpose for going to Honduras this week was because I'm being called to go to Cuba. Amen. So, Amen. So there's a, a young couple down there that are going to Cuba in January, and I don't know if I'll go on their first trip or not, but as soon as I work everything out, I will probably go to Cuba, which is not only fertile ground, but that is virgin ground. Amen. And there's Amen. a great need there. Amen. So, thank, thank you, you, dear Shirley. Let's praise God for dear Shirley. Now, I could take this microphone around this room, and everywhere I look, there's people who have been saying yes to God. And not just for a week or two. Milt, you've been saying yes to God your whole life. And that's why you're the cover story on the seniors page of the newsletter this time. And it was only touching the surface. I've been to Labe Moustique, which is the sister church that you helped us be a part of in Haiti. I look around this room and there's story after story after story. And I thank you. I celebrate you, friends. That's why there's not going to be enough circles on the front of my worship folder. I'm sure of that. When I really start praying through, God, give me the stories of individual folks of all ages who've said yes to God and the difference, God, that you've made in their lives and now through them in where they live or work or go to school. Can you start making circles on the front of your worship folder? And can you start putting some names in there of people who've blessed your soul because you've watched them say yes to God? Huh? That's your homework for this week. And then, would you be willing to make a circle with your own name? 
But don't put your name in there until you would agree you have said yes to God with no restrictions. Make the circle, but don't put your name in there until you can confidently say, I have said yes to God with no restrictions. Guess what? You don't have to be afraid to do that. Nobody loves you more than God does. Nobody knows what hurts for you more than God does. Nobody would love to see you live a fulfilled life more than God does, right? Do you agree with that? And there's nobody you can trust more than God. Now, would you look at the tear-off that's there on your worship folder for a moment? Because it's different than you've ever seen it before. Oh, the one side where it says welcome, that looks pretty similar. But look at the other side. Do you see what it says at the top? My praise God story. Uh, This week I was thinking, when we walk out of this room uh, through the weekend, there's more than a thousand of us that scatter all over Walworth County in Illinois. We work and we live and we play in different places. And for those who are saying yes to God, what God's doing in you and through you is just amazing. And I wish we had the time to pass the microphone and hear everybody's story. We don't. But what if you came in knowing there's a place for you to tell me your story? There it is. You grab your pencil and you jot down. Do you see what I wrote in the little print? Maybe you can't see the little print. Your eyes are like mine. Here's what it says. Tell us your fresh story of what God is doing in and through you to draw and connect people to Jesus. May I read you one that I got from last night? Listen to this. My parents and brothers don't go to church. I'm 13. And I haven't missed a day of church in six months. And my life is changing. That's as of last night. Is that, fra- is that awesome or what? Now that's one of a bunch. What does God want us to know about what he's doing personally in your life? Fresh every week. What that's all about, you see, is this is this, this kingdom sensitivity. Uh, pardon me, this community sensitivity that you see in your notes. It means that we are sensitive to what God's doing through us here in this community of Williams Bay, but everywhere where we live and we work. It means that at Calvary, one of our foundational principles is anything we do or think about doing, we're going to ask the question, how will that be salt and light in our world? And if you'll do the same, do you see how your life will change? Now, the second one I want you to see in just a couple minutes, it's there in your notes, it's called a kingdom mindset. It's a celebration that we're not the only church in Walworth County. Amen. There's a number of wonderful churches in our county. And we love to partner with them in accomplishing what God would like to accomplish here in our county and around the world. Amen. We're not the only ministry. We praise God for Timberley and Covenant Harbor and Conference Point Camp and on and on. And we look for any opportunity to partner with anyone else who is about God's business advancing the kingdom even anywhere in the world, which is what those flags are about and what Shirley's personal story is about. You see there in your notes that I put a verse for you. Jesus, in John chapter 10, was saying some wonderful things. I can just imagine he was talking with a smile on his face to a group of folks, Jewish folks, saying to them, I'm the good shepherd, and you're my sheep, and I love you, and you can hear my voice, and you know my voice, and I know your voice, and you follow me, and that's good. That's what this stained glass window is all about. And then he goes on and he says, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Wow. That's what communion is all about. 
And then he said, I have other sheep that are not of this flock. (laughs) But there will be one flock and one shepherd. What was he saying? He was saying, Jewish people, you're not the most important people in the whole world. Every person in the world has equal value to God. And when he said that, I wonder if Jesus kind of maybe scratched his chin a little bit, maybe even closed his eyes for a moment and looked down through time. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. He was able to look ahead just a few months to the miracle that was going to happen in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit came upon those who were praying, you remember, at a time called Pentecost. Jerusalem was filled with people, Jewish people, from all over the known world. And those who were inspired, anointed by the Holy Spirit, began to speak the truth about Jesus in languages they'd never studied to the people who had come. They then went back to their homes and proclaimed what they'd heard about Jesus. I think Jesus was able to look a little bit further down the corridors of time. Maybe he looked right at Peter. Maybe he smiled as he thought about Someday soon, Peter is going to stand in a Gentile Roman soldier's house named Cornelius. And when he does, he's going to have to say, I now understand, God does not show favoritism. But every man is equal in God's sight, and Jesus died for all. I wonder if he was able to look a little bit further down in time to see that gathering of Christians, all different skin colors, all different backgrounds in a town called Antioch. (laughs) Jews and Gentiles, where the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul and send them off. And they went from there to places where nobody had ever spoken the name of Jesus before. He was able to look down through time to the 1800s and the fact that England would be sending out around the world people, British people, Christ-following British people who would go to speak the name of Jesus in places like China, Hudson Taylor. Scandinavian Christians would come here to America, amen, and would communicate Jesus here. In the 1900s, I wonder if Jesus could see that America would become the great missionary sending of the world nation, including this church, amen. Sending men and women, courageous men and women who were saying yes to Jesus to go anywhere in the world, Was he looking down all the way into the current century and seeing that it was the Asian church sending out the missionaries? South Korea, the greatest missionary sending nation in the world right now. Nigeria from Africa. Brazil from South America. As the world now reaches to the world and in some cases back to America. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. There will be one flock and one shepherd. Amen. So don't limit me, Jesus was saying. Join with me. Become salt and light right where I have placed you. And then when you say yes to me, be ready to be a part of what I'm doing everywhere in the world. Live the adventure for which I have created you. Now you're going to be served communion here in just a moment. Here at Calvary, you don't have to be a member of this church to receive communion. We simply ask you be sure that somewhere in your lifetime you have trusted Jesus Christ, you've asked Him to be your Savior, you've acknowledged your sin, your need for a Savior, and you know that He saved you. But today, as the bread and the cup is coming, I want to ask you to do something else. Are you ready to put your name in a circle on the front of the worship folder that you have? Symbolizing that you have said, Yes, God, yes. Yes, I'm declaring you're my Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. 
Yes, I'm inviting you to do everything and anything you want to do in my life to make me the man or the woman that gives you the greatest glory that I could possibly give you. And yes, I'm entirely available to you for you to call me into action anywhere, anyhow, anytime to be salt and light every day for the rest of my life. Yes, 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 with no restrictions. As the communion comes towards you, think about that. And if something wells up inside of you that says, No, no, God, no, I, 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 I want to be saved, but no, I, I'm not ready to say yes to the rest of it, then ask yourself why. What is it down deep inside of you that has a chokehold on you that's holding you back from trusting God fully for all that He would like to do in your life, huh? Because whatever that is, God will never overpower it. He will wait for your invitation. And if you never invite Him to deal with whatever that is that's holding you back, You'll live with that for the rest of your life. And when you come to the end of the life, you're going to look back with this thought. I wonder what would have been in my life if I had said an unrestricted yes to God. You don't want to come to the end of your life like that, friend. You don't want to come to the end of your life looking back with regret saying, Oh, I wonder what if. You want to come to the end of your life looking back saying, Oh my God, oh my. I could have never imagined. So Lord Jesus Christ, right now in this place, we thank you for the privilege of receiving communion together. If you're in this room and you're not sure if you've ever trusted Jesus Christ before to be your Savior, right now is a perfect time. In the quietness between you and God, you know the condition of your life. And you know the stuff in your life that you're not proud of. The stuff that has distanced you from God. God knows a lot more about it than you do. But the loving God who made you is ready right now to apply the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished in that for God to pardon you for your sin, for God to cleanse you of the residue, the damage of your sin, and for God to embrace you in his great love and do a healing work in you. He awaits your invitation. And that's a private conversation between you and God. You coming to the place where you recognize you can't save yourself. Inviting God to save you. And as you await the elements today, ask yourself, God, is there any place in my life where I am putting restrictions on you? Or am I today, one more time, ready to say an unqualified yes to you? Let's just continue in an attitude of prayer and preparation as the men serve us. That may be one of the most powerful songs I've ever heard. And I remember the day that Pastor Mark came to me and said, May I sing for you a song that God has just given me? In repentance and rest is your salvation, the song said. Repentance, you know, that means I, I turn away from my sin 
And I turn to you, Jesus, and I ask you, help me, help me. I can't stop myself. Break the hold of the sin in my life. Forgive me for my past. Change me, God. In repentance and rest, it means that when I've repented and I've asked God to help me, I rest in Him. And He does the powerful work in me. Amen? The bread that you hold, as you know, is a symbol. It symbolizes the fact that as God incarnate Jesus Christ hung on the cross, the beating that He had taken, the nailing to that cross, He was receiving upon Him the wrath of God poured out upon the rebellion, the sin of the world. He was also receiving upon Himself the total rejection of humanity of God. Because he took the punishment for you and for me, we don't have to be punished for our sin. We don't have to be punished for our sin. God is ready to pardon us. Receive the bread in thanksgiving for what Jesus accomplished for you. As the men come to serve us the cup, I want to read you one more of these from last night. Men, please come. Hallelujah, the person writes. The Lord God taught me this week how to live for Him and find true friends and remain strong in my relationship with Jesus. This was homecoming week at my school. I had everything planned perfectly. A perfect date, shoes, dress, but God seemed to unravel it in His truth. I praise God for the strong Christian friends that He has surrounded me with. They encouraged me to pray about my homecoming plan and talk to God about it. God reminded me about His true love for me and His plan for my life, and He reminded me of the terrible time that I had last year at homecoming. So I returned the dress. I turned down the date. I canceled my hair appointment. And I scheduled time instead on Saturday just to be with God, to worship Him, to read His truth in my Bible. I spent the whole day, instead of making a horrible decision that could have hurt me again, spending the day with God. Lord Jesus, we receive this cup grateful that you love us so much. You love to help us avoid those disastrous situations that could hurt us even more. We worship you. You know that the cup that you hold in your hand represents the cup, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that life is in the blood. Now listen carefully. The blood flowing through your veins you didn't put there. It is the indivisible blood of your mother and your father, your parents. You can never do anything about that. Whether you like or love your parents or not, you're alive because of them. Whether you even know them or not, you exist because of them and the miracle that God did when he reached into your mother's womb and conceived you. As Jesus held the cup, 
on the night before he went to the cross, he said, it's the cup of the new covenant, the new relationship that is possible now for you and Almighty God. A relationship that lets you call him Father. And I'm sorry if the word Father brings into your mind horrible images of a terrible daddy that you had. But that is not who God is. He's a loving Father. A faithful, reliable Father. A Father who came here and went all the way to the cross to prove to you how much He loves you. It's the cup of the new relationship with Almighty God made possible by Jesus. So that regardless of the human blood that flows through your veins, you can live every day knowing that you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Amen? And He loves you. And He understands you. And He wants to heal the wounds that life has inflicted on you. And He wants to walk the journey of life with you. And He wants to help you become all the person He designed you to be. And He wants you to understand that His love for you is unconditional. You can't stop Him from loving you. Amen? The blood of the new relationship. Are you living that relationship with Almighty Holy God, purchased for you by Jesus? It's a yes relationship. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for making it possible for us to have a brand new relationship with Almighty God, unrestrained and unrestricted by the junk of our lives. (laughs) Thank you for unleashing your power in our lives and healing us from that stuff, breaking the hold of that stuff on our lives, filling us with your Holy Spirit so we really do become new people, God. God God-loving, God-honoring people. And we can start a new generation with us. We receive this cup now, Lord Jesus Christ, in your honor, for your glory. Let's receive it together. Now, Lord Jesus Christ, as we sing another closing song of worship, I thank you that the way you've made us When we worship you in song, it unites the truth that we can think with our minds, the emotions that we can feel with our heart. It unites those things with your Holy Spirit, and there's a miracle that takes place in our worship. And that's why we worship you now with hearts full of gratitude. Receive our praise. We praise you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for being a people who say yes to God and are experiencing his yes response to you. Thank you, Don, for being willing every Sunday morning to help our dear deaf friends understand and experience the work of God in their lives. As busy as you are to give every Sunday morning to help our deaf friends hear Thank you, David, for the way that you use your gift in the deaf community, your skills, your abilities, your yes to God in touching the deaf community as you do. I could go around the room. Every row I see people that I know who are saying yes to God. 
Thank you. Chris, come here just a moment, my friend. Chris is one of our dear special needs friends. Come right on up here. Who would like to say a thank you to all of you for the way I'll help you, my friend. I'll help you right here, my brother. Thank you, Bruce Sandstrom, for you and your team who say yes to God and drive our Inspiration Ministries friends here. What would you like to say, my dear friend? All right. I praise God. I came back from my trip to be a better guy you know, you know myself. Amen. And I know all of you. I would say do that song again. It's close to me. Amen, Chris. God, we thank you. God, I thank you for the way that you love Chris. He had a wonderful two weeks at Shepherds. There he was loved by a staff of that wonderful place. You overcame his fear and his anxiety about being away from his mother for that time. Thank you. Thank you for his love for you, Lord Jesus. Oh, it's my prayer that as we go out from this place, it won't be difficult for any of us in this room to think of a fresh story of how you, God, have been working in our lives in response to our yes. And then this next week, God, it's my prayer that there'd be an outpouring of your blessing on every person in this room who has said yes to you so that next Sunday you'd fill up the basket with those tear-offs of people who have a story to tell. I praise you and I thank you and I entrust these dear people to your care, O God. In Jesus' name, amen Amen. and amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you.